Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is I Remember Not Remembering, an interview with Vanessa Laporte. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Vanessa Laporte. Vanessa Laporte is a 30-year-old customer service and accounts manager from Vancouver, Canada. Growing up, Ms. Laporte was a healthy, athletic child with an active social life. She was bit by a tick in 2011 and developed a bullseye rash. Doctors didn't know what caused it and tested her for syphilis. Eventually, Ms. Laporte started to develop the symptoms of a tick disease. She had chronic headaches and lost the vision in her left eye. In 2015, she had a breast augmentation procedure. After her surgery, her symptoms spiraled out of control. Ms. Laporte lost feeling in her hands and feet. Her fingers were stuck together. By 2017, she was in a wheelchair. Ms. Laporte saw over 30 doctors before receiving a Lyme disease diagnosis. But Lyme had already triggered diseases like mast cell activation syndrome and electrohypersensitivity in Ms. Laporte. Throughout her journey, Ms. Laporte has found her true strength. She hopes to inspire others to do the same and plans on building a new business structured around chronic illness. Hey, Vanessa, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rich. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Matt and I are blessed to have you on the podcast today, and we'd like you to first start to share with our audience who you are mm -hmm. and where you live. So I'm Vanessa, and I'm 30 years old, and I live in Vancouver, Canada, and I grew up in Ontario, Canada. And Vanessa, what do you do for work? Right now, I'm not working. I haven't been able to work, actually, the last five years because I've been healing from Lyme disease and that in its own is a full-time job. So Vanessa, before you started on your full-time job of healing over the last five years, uh, where did you go to school and what did you do for work before your full-time job became healing? So I grew up in Ontario, Canada and I went to school in Woodbridge and it was called Holy Cross Catholic Academy. And then after that, I just kind of went straight into working. Um, and at a really, really young age, I was in a management role very, very quickly. And I was in retail management. Um, at one point, I was actually managing a staff of over 60 people. So I was just always a leader. And I was working full time. And then from there, I actually started running a staffing agency, an employment agency out of Vancouver, and I was running that from the ground up until I became too sick to function. And unfortunately, I had to step down and stop working, and this was in 2015. And so basically, since 2015, I haven't been able to work. So what types of personal and professional dreams were you pursuing at the time that you began to show your tick disease symptoms? Oh, well, I wanted, really, I wanted to kind of like build an empire. So I was running this business and so, so excited for it to be successful because it was successful right from the beginning. And right away, it was probably about a year into running this business that I got really sick and I had to step down and stop working. Now, my dreams of still running an empire, they have not changed. However, I think now going forward, it would be different in the sense that I would be running something, but I'd be running something that would be essentially helping people in the sense that people who have chronic illnesses or people who have obviously Lyme disease and autoimmune diseases, 
So, and I, I'm thinking that I'd be able to work within the next year to, to two years full time. Before we discuss the transition you've made between being a mm -hmm. traditional empire builder and now a person who is interested in building an empire to help other people, I'd like to focus on mm -hmm. that time when you began to show the symptoms of your tick disease. How did the symptoms sure. begin to present themselves and how did they develop? So this part, this part makes me a little bit sad when I talk about it just because I, I, I didn't see the tick, but I saw the bite. I saw the rash and it was on my left arm right above my elbow. And this was in 2011. I was living in, um, in Kleinberg uh, in Canada at the time in a heavily forested area. And I had a rash on my left arm just above my elbow. And I didn't actually see a tick or it could have been a spider. It could have been a mosquito because we know now that mosquitoes and spiders also carry Borrelia and co-infection. But I did see the rash. So I went to the doctor right away and the doctor said, I don't know what that is. I've never seen that before, but let's test that for syphilis. Obviously the test came back negative for syphilis and the rash faded away. The thing is, I tried to live my life as normally as I could, but I started having a lot of weird symptoms and they were pretty mild. So I could still function, but they were symptoms like chronic headaches, where I would have to take up to eight Advil and Tylenol a day just to take the edge off. Um, and I went to doctors for this as well. And they kind of just, essentially they brushed me off saying, oh, you have headaches, go take pain medication, you're fine. Maybe a year after I had the headaches, I started having a lot of jaw issues, a lot of pain in my jaw on both sides. And again, I went to the doctors and they kind of just said, okay, you have TMJ, you're going to have to, if you want to do anything about this, you can either A, just take pain meds because it was pretty painful, or you can do a surgery where we break your jaw, wire it shut, and you're going to have to get a straw. And I said, absolutely not. I am not doing that. And I continued to kind of just live my life through this pain because doctors were not giving me any answers. About a year after that, I started to lose vision. And keep in mind, like the trajectory of my journey, the symptoms just got worse and worse and worse year by year by year. So I started to lose vision in my left eye. And that was really scary. I thought it was going blind. So I saw many specialists. I saw ophthalmologists. I saw optometrists. I saw more doctors. And they were all so puzzled because all of my eye exams and tests came back clear. So I was again sent home with no answers and was told that there was nothing medically wrong with me. So all of this happened within a span of four years from 2011 to around 2014 to 2015. What did you know about ticks and tick diseases at the time that you first showed the rash? That's a good question. I knew absolutely nothing, nothing at all. I have never been heard of Lyme disease at that time. So I just, kind of, I just trusted the doctors to know what they were talking about. Now, during your four-year journey between when you first started showing symptoms and when you ultimately got your diagnosis, how was this affecting you socially? Meaning, did you have people in your life, whether they be family members, uh, friends, romantic partners, who were treating you differently because you started to lose the ability to be the same person that you had been during that journey? To be honest, during those four years, I didn't experience any of that because I was such a good actress. <laughs> I, I was feeling the symptoms. 
Um, but I never really showed anybody that I was feeling these symptoms. And it, it, in a way, it was kind of weird. It was like the more sick that I felt, the harder I pushed to work and socialize and kind of, I think, ignore the fact that I knew something was, was going on and the doctors didn't know anything. So I think in an odd way, it kind of pushed me to burn out. It kind of pushed me to go, 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 work harder, socialize more, party. I was partying a lot. I was partying at one point every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Again, not understanding that lime was wreaking havoc in my body at that point. But I think looking back now, yeah, during that time, no, nobody really treated me different because I just didn't show, I didn't, I didn't look any different. I didn't act any different. Now, as you're going from doctor to doctor, trying to get answers for the various symptoms that are developing, did you feel that the doctors were treating you respectfully? Did you feel that they saw you as a partner? Or do you think they were pedantically trying to diagnose you and ultimately brush you off when they couldn't come to a diagnosis with you? Unfortunately, I was not being treated with respect. And I think that this is one of the things that I can empathize um, with people going through this journey, just feeling like you're being mistreated and feeling like you're not being heard and feeling ultimately like you're not being believed, which is the saddest part because of course we know what's going on in our own body and trying to explain that to a medical um, professional and they kind of look at you and say, oh, well, you know what? No, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, of course there's something wrong with me. I am in this body. I feel the symptoms. So it's been, I mean, I saw over 30 doctors to get properly diagnosed and I had to end up going in Canada. I had to end up going to a private Lyme literate doctor because the medical system, the Western medical system, just they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And to answer your question, I don't feel like I was treated with respect at all. Now, Vanessa, you, you indicated that at some point you had to stop building mm -hmm. this business that you were in the process of developing. How did that process develop? Meaning, did you continue to develop this business and then one day you had to stop? Or were your, were your symptoms developing to the point where you started to fail and then the business started to fail? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate because the business is actually still running today and it's very successful. And at the time I was, um, I opened the business. Well, I didn't open the business. I was, I was um, growing the business. So it started in Toronto, Ontario. And then myself and my partner, we moved out, just us two to Vancouver to grow up here in Vancouver. So I was lucky enough to have support when I had to step down. Now, what ended up happening was I was pushing myself to work through the symptoms. And because of my extreme brain fog and my brain issues, I remember one day sitting at the computer, I remember not remembering to go from one page to the next and to open another tab and just the simple things that I guess I took for granted before I was sick. I just couldn't do them anymore. And so again, typical, like my fast, like in the Vanessa fashion, I kind of fought, fought, fought through that to the point where I was making too many mistakes that could have potentially um, hurt the business. So that's when I had to say for myself, I, I clearly can't work anymore. So I was lucky enough that I had support and I had the right people in place to continue building the business and for some time, I would be at home and still try to have some control. And this just ended up kind of hurting me more because I just ended up having to just surrender to the fact that, okay, 
all of my energy, 100% of my energy has to be in me right now, healing. So it was at that point that I realized that. And it actually became a little bit easier for me to accept the fact that, okay, I won't be able to work right now. Stop fighting this, Teresa. You can't work right now. You will be able to work again, but you need to get yourself well first in order to work again. Now, Vanessa, of course, we know how this journey ends, at least this portion of your journey ends. You ultimately get a Lyme diagnosis. But what's making me uncomfortable as I'm watching this journey unfold is it looks like you were making a series of decisions that made it more and more likely that you were going to suffer from chronic Lyme. Can you talk to us about, can you talk to us about what your mindset was like and why you kept fighting through and you kept doing things maybe that you shouldn't have been doing that resulted in you mm -hmm. finally having this crash? Sure. At the end of the day, I didn't want to accept, and I'm sure nobody wants to accept that they're ill. I mean, health is everything. If you don't have your health, it's like nothing really matters at all. You can be a millionaire, you can be a billionaire, but if you're not healthy, you won't enjoy anything. So I think I was just pushing and pushing and pushing, and I think I was turning a blind eye when I go to the doctors and they would tell me, you're okay, nothing's medically wrong with you, nothing's very serious. I would say, okay, good. You know, the doctors say I'm okay. So I'm going to go and I'm going to continue with my life. Looking back, I could have in those four years before it became really, really, really chronic and debilitating. I could have done more research, but again, I don't want to beat myself up and just, I want to be gentle with myself because I mean, how could I have known if, if you know what I mean? If the doctors were telling me I was fine. Um, but at one point in 2015, I had breast augmentation. And this was a trigger. And when I say this was a trigger, I'm sure that there's a lot of people with Lyme disease that, that understand that, that a trigger kind of like a, a death in the family or a car accident or a surgery, something kind of traumatic to the body can kind of propel the Lyme to go into full force and become really aggressive. And that's what happened to me about three to four months after that breast augmentation surgery. I became debilitated. And that's when I couldn't fight those symptoms anymore. That's when I couldn't pretend I was functional anymore. The disease just took me out at that point. So Vanessa, did you go through the breast augmentation process mm -hmm. before or after you were diagnosed with Lyme disease? Before. I would have never had any kind of surgery if I knew that I was that sick. Now for our our listeners who are going through the process of their diagnostic journey, if you were to give them a recommendation about what kinds of things, and I certainly want you to be gentle with yourself because that's not the purpose of this question. The purpose of the question is okay. to help other folks shortcut their diagnostic journey and what role they can play in that process. If you were to look back now at the mm -hmm. decisions that you were making while your symptoms were developing, mm -hmm. what would you recommend that others do to A, shortcut their journey, and B, hopefully not get to a point where they're chronic when their illness is developing? Right. So two things. I think it's important to note that there's two different types of, I think, people when it comes to Lyme disease. There's the people who caught it early enough, and then there's the people who didn't catch it early enough. Now, the people who catch it early enough, I would suggest going right to either an infectious disease doctor or a Lyme literate doctor and get all those other doctors in between that aren't well versed in Lyme disease 
because time is of the essence, obviously, in this case, because you don't want it to become chronic. And if you are able to catch it right away, then I would say if you go on maybe six to eight weeks of doxycycline with a lot of gut support, I know people who are completely Lyme free. Now, the second type of person that catches it too late, like in my situation, um, I would say again, go to straight to a Lyme literate ND or an MD. So an MD is a naturopathic doctor or a medical doctor. Somebody who, a doctor who believes you and a doctor who completely understands the complexity of the illness. Because it is so complex, especially when it's chronic, seeing any other doctor is just going to stall time and you don't have time to waste in this situation. Vanessa, my question is really a little bit different. I, I agree that okay. if at some point we discover we have Lyme disease, whether it's at the acute phase or it's at the chronic phase, yeah. we want to work with somebody who's Lyme literate. But you didn't know you had Lyme disease. You were going through this journey and your symptoms were developing and you didn't know you had Lyme disease until way later in the process. Do you think mm -hmm. looking back, there's anything you could have done during that five-year window where you mm -hmm. could have for example, enhance your immune system by getting more sleep and going out less often or anything uh, like that, that, oh, that absolutely. You, you may have done that would prevent you have, would have prevent you from getting to the chronic phase, even though you didn't know you had Lyme disease. Right, right. Absolutely. To answer that question, I could have definitely slowed down and not pushed myself to ignore all of these symptoms and signs that my body was, was telling me. And I think I could have done my own research. I think in hindsight, it's 2020 now. So I mean, looking back, if I would have just gone onto the internet and looked up my symptoms, I know I could have found that it could be Lyme disease or it could be MS, or I mean, I could have figured it out on my own at that point. I also looking back would have never had breast augmentation. I would have never had that surgery because I'm not sure if I would be in this acute state or the chronic state if I didn't get that surgery. So I think, yeah, looking back, I would have done a few things differently. So Vanessa, we've, we've had many guests who have indicated that either breast augmentation surgery or some other type mm -hmm. of implant had been a trigger mm -hmm. that had damaged their immune system or had a negative impact on their immune system. And that became a trigger yeah. for their chronic Lyme disease. And right. what I'd like you to share with us is whether or not your cosmetic surgeon discussed with you the possibility that this augmentation surgery could have caused you to have a negative immune response? Sure. To answer that question, the answer is no. <laughs> I had very, very, very little information in regards to how it would affect my health going forward or how it could affect my health going forward. The information was not given to me at all. Now, at the end of the day, I'm not blaming anyone because these were my own decisions. However, if I was given the right information, then I could have made an informed decision. I was just told that there's absolutely no risks associated with breast augmentation in regards to health. My surgeon actually said I've been practicing for over 10 years and I've never seen anybody have any health problems. The only risk that um, I know of, he said, is something called capsular contraction, where the muscle can kind of harden around the implant. And in that case, he told me, you just come back, we'll pop the implant out, 
we'll put a new one in and you're good to go. So I was not informed at all that there could be any kind of autoimmune disease that comes out of it or any kind of, it would dampen your immune system. There's actually a cancer that's from, specifically from implants. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a, it's a man-made cancer and it's specifically from breast implants. And the FDA actually made sure to release a statement saying this, saying it's very, very rare, but that it, it, it is something that exists. So things like that were not told to me. Vanessa, did you ultimately go through an explant surgery? I did. How did you come to the conclusion that that was an important part of your health journey? This was actually after I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and I saw, I'm seeing some of the world's best Lyme doctors in the world actually. And they were the ones who essentially they told me there's absolutely no way your body is going to be able to heal from chronic complex illness with foreign objects in your body. Um, you have to get these out right away. So I did. And I actually went to a surgeon in Dallas who's well-versed in Lyme disease. So he completely understands that it's really, really important through explant surgery to remove everything and not leave anything inside of the body. And I was detoxed afterwards and my doctors monitored me and supported me. And to be honest, I'm so much happier than I was when I had the implant. I thought getting the implant were gonna make me more confident and take all of my, um, I think my, my, my issues away in regards to my self-confidence. It didn't do any of that. I'm actually more confident now that they're gone and that they're out. And at this point in my journey, I mean, I'll do anything to get better. So the cosmetic part is just like, it's, it's old news for me now. Vanessa, as a cautionary tale for those that are listening that are still not diagnosed with Lyme, but think they may have Lyme, were you diagnosed mm -hmm. with anything that mimics Lyme disease prior to your ultimate Lyme disease diagnosis? I was. I was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. I was diagnosed with blood cancer at one point. It was really scary, really, really scary that was. And then I was diagnosed with just general neuropathy. And then I was diagnosed with a of random virus in my blood and yeah it most of the time though to be honest my I was just sent home with no answers but those were the the diagnosis that really stick out to me because those ones were terrifying terrifying to me and my family just to find out that I didn't have any of those at the end of the day and then I was diagnosed finally with MS multiple sclerosis because I had an MRI that showed over 20 lesions in my brain and over 20 lesions on my spinal cord that we now know MS, it, it, is a, it is a disease, but in my case, it's not necessarily a separate entity because the cause of the MS is the Lyme disease. So we're treating the cause, essentially we treat the cause and we treat the whole picture. So although many of these conditions you truly had and you were diagnosed with them, they were all sort of <laughs> just byproducts or causes of Lyme disease and, and what it was doing to your body. Exactly. So those were the misdiagnoses. I, the byproducts of Lyme disease, I, I had MCAS, which is mast cell activation syndrome, mold illness, and the mold illness was part, partly because of the implant. And then I also have EMS sensitivity, which is like you said, it's all a byproduct of, of the Lyme disease. So Vanessa, now that you had a lot of these symptoms and potential diagnoses like MS, 
What caused uh -huh. you to go to the next level and put Lyme in your mind to get your final ultimate Lyme diagnosis with your doctors? Right. So to be honest, intuitively, I didn't feel like that was the right diagnosis. I was happy to hear that there was finally like a, a name to what I was, I was going through. And I wasn't crazy like most of the doctors made me feel. But intuitively, I didn't feel like it was right. And um, I talked, we talked with my family and my mother actually brought up that bite, the mysterious rash that I had back in 2011 that I still had no answer for and that I kind of forgot. It was just kind of in my, my rear view mirror at that point. And they also told me that the MS is a very aggressive form and that if I accept the MS diagnosis and take the MS drugs, that it's not a, it's not a, a cure by any means. It's just kind of like a Band-Aid solution, and I would essentially end up being debilitated in the next 10 to 15 years. So I just, I wanted to fight and see, like, there has to be some cure. There has to be, they, they told me they don't know the cause of the MS. Okay, if you don't know the cause, I'm going to find the cause. So we did a lot of research, and I actually um, found out that Lyme disease mimics MS. And it was in that moment that I was like, Lyme disease, the bite, the rash, all of these weird symptoms that would come and go and that would migrate over the last couple of years. And that's what forced me to kind of push my MS doctors at the time to give me a Lyme disease test. And let me tell you, they were really, really hesitant. They said, there's been no cases of Lyme disease in Canada, which is crazy, obviously. And um, I said, please give me this test just for my peace of mind. If it comes back negative, that's fine. I'll go the MS route. I'll take the MS drugs. I'll, I'll, I'll accept my diagnosis. I'll be debilitated in a couple of years, but I just need to figure this out. And I really, really pushed and I really advocated for myself and I really fought with, with all of this. And I'm so glad I did because the Lyme disease test came back positive. And that's when I decided, okay, bye-bye MS drugs. <laughs> I'm going to treat the cause so I can get rid of this stuff. <laughs> For those that are listening and think they may have Lyme, it sounds like you came to your conclusion that you have Lyme disease and forced your doctors basically to run a Lyme test because of, of yeah. researching, consulting with your family members who witnessed you and knew exactly what you were going through. And then based on mm -hmm. your research and discussions and collaboration, your family came yeah. up with the diagnosis and then pushed your doctor to run the test to ultimately get your diagnosis from your doctor, your MS doctor. Is that correct? Correct. And what lab did you send your blood work to? Was it a local lab in Canada or did you actually use a specialized lab that, that is known for its accuracy in diagnosing Lyme disease? The specialized lab. This one was Armin Labs out of Germany and it's one of the more accurate tests along with, I did an uh, hygienic test. I think that one's out of California. Um, and those ones are private because I think the Western blot test, the one that they actually use in the, in the hospital is so inaccurate and so outdated. The downside of that is you have to pay for these private tests. And I think, I don't know, I think they're between, correct me if I'm wrong, like 350 to $450. That's Canadian. So they're not cheap, but I mean, you have to do what you have to do, right? So at the end of the day, um, to figure out what's wrong with me, I mean, I would have sold my house. <laughs> and yeah, and the Armin Labs and the Igenix test, they both came back positive for Borrelia, which is Lyme, and they came back positive for the co-infection mycoplasma and obesia. And at this point, it sounds like you kicked your MS doctor to the curb, found a Lyme litter naturopathic doctor, I'm guessing? Yes, exactly. 
talk to us about the difference was working with a Lyme literate naturopathic doctor versus a regular okay. doctor, whether it be an infectious disease doctor or your MS doctor, mm -hmm. and how that experience was different for you. Oh, it's like a night and day. <laughs> it's like you have somebody sitting in front of you that's looking at you like you're crazy, and that's the like Western medical doctors, and then there's the doctors, the naturopathic doctors who sit with you and they actually believe you and they're compassionate and they're empathetic and they take all of your symptoms into consideration and they sit with you for long periods of time until they kind of have like your whole story from beginning to end so that they can start to piece the pieces together so that they can give you the, the best treatment possible. So it's literally like night and day. The Lyme literate doctors are just like, I can't emphasize this enough. And there's not enough of them in Canada, unfortunately. There's only a handful. And I've exhausted them all. And they all got me out of a really tough spot. However, I plateaued. And I was forced to go to the States for treatment, where I think, obviously, you guys, like, there's a lot more doctors, obviously, in the States. And there's a lot more doctors that are well-versed in Lyme disease. And so that's where I'm at right now. I'm actually traveling back and forth to the States. What advice would you give our listeners who are looking to find a Lyme litter doctor and struggling with their, their current doctors? Where would you direct them to go to find a Lyme litter doctor? Yeah, I can send you guys, um, I can't remember what the link is called, but there's an actual link where you can find all of the practicing Lyme litter doctors in Canada, and then you can find the Lyme litter practicing doctors in the state. But I can definitely send that to you, and then we can maybe include that in the bottom to the show notes. Also, too, I think reaching out to people who have Lyme disease on social media. I mean, I know, like I speak for myself, but I think everyone who's had Lyme disease would be more than happy to guide people in the right direction. People who are just kind of in the throes of figuring out where to go, who to talk to, what doctors to see. So I think going on to social media, Facebook, Instagram, there's so many people in the community who have Lyme disease that are so, so, so willing to help and point people in the right direction, like me. So Vanessa, now that you've finally found this Lyme litter naturopathic doctor and, you know, before uh -huh. you go to the States and you kind of went to all these different ones in Canada, you said you pretty much went to every Lyme litter doctor in Canada. What was mm -hmm. the beginning of your treatment journey with your first Lyme litter doctor you saw? So the first Lyme litter doctor that I saw, it was an amazing experience because the first time that I had a doctor believe me, <laughs> which is nice. And he did some treatments that were kind of, unconventional or or I wasn't used to that kind of treatment and it was it was treatment that was kind of a part of the scope of, of normal western medical so it was different but at that point I didn't really have a choice but it was really nice to be believed and listened to and I was right away put on supplements and herbs and so a lot a lot of supportive therapy to start with before we even started really really like going hard with the antibiotics and all that kind of stuff so right away, I was put on a whole slew of herbs and supplements and stuff to kind of get my body going in the right direction and, and to boost my immune system to fight off the infection. Vanessa, with this first Lyme litter doctor you saw, how far mm -hmm. did you come in using these natural herbal therapies and then following up with antibiotics once your body was ready? How far would you say you came with your recovery at that point at the end of your time with that first doctor? I would say... To be honest, about 30%, 30 to 40%, only because I didn't know any better. The whole body has to be treated. 
This means the physical body, the mental body, the energetic body, the spiritual body, the intuitive body. It needs to be addressed as a whole. Just because this, this disease is so complex, it affects absolutely everything. So that at that point, I was just touching on the physical body and not addressing anything else. And I ended up plateauing. And that's when I was like, okay, I mean, I've used all of these doctors here. I've used all of the standard treatments, the antibiotics, the herbs and supplements. I didn't even really switch my diet at that point. I was still eating gluten and dairy and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up having to go to the steps and I ended up having to go to the States and, and land with the amazing doctors that I'm with now that treat the body as a whole. And that's when I'm, that's where I'm seeing the progress. That's where I'm seeing the difference. I would say now I'm at about 70%. Um, that's so close to the finish line. And it's because I've addressed the illness and I've addressed treating the body, the whole picture, um, and not just the physical. So in Canada, all the Lyme litter doctors yeah. really just focused on giving you herbal therapy, supplements, and antibiotics, and didn't do anything else really to focus on your immune health or any, any other whole body approaches. Is that an accurate assessment of what your journey was like? That's completely accurate, yes. And once you moved from your Canadian Lyme litter doctors to the U.S., your health improved mm -hmm. from 30% where it was at the, at the end of your Canadian Lyme doctors to 70% mm -hmm. of the U.S. doctors. Can Correct. you talk about what those doctors did differently to get you to 70% of your health? Sure. Right away, <laughs> they told me you need to get excellent surgery. So, I mean, that was huge. And I had no other doctor brazen enough to look me in the face and say, you need to get your implants removed because it's so, so, so personal. So I appreciated them for their like, aggressiveness right away. Like the first appointment that I had with them, they were like, okay, we need to deal with the whole body. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to get on a, a really, really clean diet. So they started looking at all of these other things that I never even really thought to look at. And they basically, they kind of guided me to have like a lifestyle change in regards to the diet and meditation was so important and a stress-free, as stress-free lifestyle as possible and lots of yoga. And they started to teach me about EMS mitigation, which is limiting the exposure to electromagnetic fields such as Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. I was doing all these other kinds of treatments like light therapy and neurotherapy and heavy metal and general detox and energy work. I was working with amazing energy healers and they were telling me that you need to address trauma and any kind of stuck emotions that you have because trauma and, and stuck emotions that could feed the disease and we need to address that. Then I was doing a parasite protocol to address parasites that can actually hold on to the Lyme disease and the parasites also hold on to stored trauma. I did low dose immunotherapy for mold I've significantly lowered my toxin, toxic burden by switching to all natural products, such as natural soaps, shampoos, deodorants, all the things. So they kind of gave me like a roadmap, like a, it's like a combination of all of the things that I'm doing now with this treatment that's getting me to that point. Vanessa, in, in today's world with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, 4G, and now 5G rolling out in most areas throughout the, the Northeast and, and North America, mm -hmm. Can you talk to our listeners about the impact these EMS or these electrical frequencies have on your body and how they can impact somebody with chronic Lyme disease? Sure. I think that's so important to talk about just because it's like an invisible, I mean, I know this is a, a labeled like an invisible illness, but this is such an invisible 
kind of aspects to the disease because you can't see it. I mean, we know that EMF electromagnetic fields exist because it's Wi-Fi and it's Bluetooth. Um, but I think, I think most people don't know how much it really affects the body. And like you said, with this 5G coming out, it just increases the amount of EMF exposure that everyone's going to be getting, not just people with Lyme disease. But the thing is, having Lyme disease and my system becoming so sensitive and my natural defense system kind of being down, I feel the physical effects from EMS. So when I'm in the car, for example, if someone's in the car with me and they have their Bluetooth on their phone, I can feel it instantly in a physical symptom. And that physical symptom for me is like my brain feels like it's on fire and it feels like there's a bunch of bugs in my brain going crazy, like really, really fast. So, or if I'm sitting in a room where there's the, the Wi-Fi router, I'll feel like restless legs and I'll feel some anxiety and I'll get a little bit um, moody. And then as soon as I move myself out of that environment into like a cleaner space, and by clean, I mean not a lot of Wi-Fi or EMS, I feel instant relief. And I think that it's so important to mitigate the EMF exposure. Um, and mitigate means just find ways to kind of protect yourself. And there's so many ways out there. So, so many ways. I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on EMF and how to limit the exposure. But I do things like I have something on my phone called Defender Shield. I have something on my laptop that helps to block the EMF that come out of that. Um, I shut my Wi-Fi off that night. There's just so many things I protect myself from the dirty electricity that comes from the plug with a plug that you can stick in the wall that actually reduces up to 90% of the EMFs that come out. And I think that it's important to know that somebody who's sick and trying to heal from Lyme disease, if the EMF exposure, if there's a lot of EMF exposure, the body can't heal. So if we're trying to heal from this disease, we have to make sure that we lower our burden of everything that's kind of interfering with the healing process, which is the EMF, which is, like I said, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, even microwaves, the 5G network, all the things, right? Vanessa, we'd like to learn more about some of the other treatment you did. You did a lot of things with that whole body approach once you came to the States. And, and you mentioned you did a lot yeah. of light therapy. So the biophoton treatment, the I think it's called mm -hmm. the Weber light therapy. Can you talk to about what light therapy? Weber. <laughs> Weber. I'm sorry. So Weber yeah. therapy. Can you That's talk okay. about what light therapy is and how it helped you in your recovery? Sure. So light therapy, essentially, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but when I do go to my clinic, they not only heal you, but they teach you. So they're really good at explaining how things work in the body. So from my understanding, the light therapy, I mean, it's a machine. So the biophoton treatment is a machine that uses light to change the frequency of your cells. And it helps to make your cells vibrate at a frequency that is healing. And the Weber light therapy is also a machine, but it's actually pretty cool because it's a machine that pulses light into your veins intravenously because light, I mean, it travels so quickly. It gives you instant, instant relief. It's like real-time relief. It's like you don't have to wait for your body to digest it or to absorb it. And it helps for me personally, it helps calm inflammation like, like night and day. And I know that the Weber light therapy is a little bit of a newer treatment approach, but it's becoming more and more popular. I know that there's a few places in Canada that now have the Weber light machine. And there's, I think there's a lot of places in the States that have it as well. 
And it's not just for Lyme disease, it's for a lot of other really acute illnesses. I know I saw somebody at the clinic doing it for cancer, somebody else was doing it, I think, for ALS. So I think it's good for a lot of things. So Vanessa, I'd like you to walk back with us for a minute through the post-diagnostic journey. And as you are going through, as you're going through making the changes that you had to make in order to heal at different stages and at different levels. Were there any social issues that developed? Meaning, were there people who were a part of your life who left your life because you were focusing on your health full time and you weren't able to be involved to the level that you had been involved in their lives? Yes. So this was after I got diagnosed and this was after everything became really acute and I was bedridden for a good two years and I couldn't, I missed out on a lot. I missed out on my best friend's wedding and I mean I couldn't I couldn't make it to any kind of social function whatsoever. Like I said, I was bedridden. And at that time I think I was also isolating myself just because I was in this vortex of suffering and so terrified and I just couldn't even bring myself to talk to anybody. And that was a really sad time in my life because it was so isolating. I had my friends and my family who were always checking in on me, but I was the one who kind of reverted into myself and I didn't really keep the communication. I am really, really, really grateful because my core group of girlfriends that I grew up with, they're like sisters to me, they stuck by me through thick and thin and they kind of gave me my space to heal. And now that I'm a lot more social and I'm able to be social again and I'm able to have conversations, I'm still not fully there where I can make it to every kind of social event, but the the good ones stayed basically. And yes, to answer your question, I did lose a lot along the way just because they didn't understand and why isn't she better yet? And oh, but she looks okay in her on her social media. She looks like she's not sick. So there's all of that kind of controversial conversation, I think, going on behind the scenes. And at that point, it did make me sad, but now I've just become so strong through all of it that none of that bothers me. The people who matter will stay, and the people who don't matter will leave. And unfortunately, it's such a complex disease that I can't really judge anyone for not understanding it. As you guys know, like there's so many levels to this, this disease, so um, no hard feelings. But at the end of the day, um, when I had to get back out there and I, I pushed myself to become social again after being in isolation for two years, I was like a hermit. I was so terrified. What if I don't know how to talk to people anymore? I I don't know how to socialize anymore. I, you know what I mean? I I felt like I lost that part of me and rightly so because I wasn't really communicating with anybody. So just to see that I was able to literally pick back up where I left off and even better in a sense is, is, is really amazing. And I hope it inspires some hope in people who are in the, the, the stage where they feel like they're isolated and they might feel like they might be socially awkward and they might feel like the world is such a big scary place out there because now I don't have any of the social skills because my brain and I'm so sick. Once you start to heal, that will all come back. And my situation, it came back. Uh, I mean, I'm still, I'm now in the life of the party and everyone is so intrigued by my resilience and my strength and all of my friends say, Vanna, you're shining. You look amazing. Like you have this new kind of perspective on life. I feel like I'm better than I was before I got sick. 
So Vanessa, you went on a really crazy journey where there were many, many points where you could have doubted yourself. And what I find really interesting is yes. that you were strong enough to go from doctor to doctor to doctor, even though you weren't mm -hmm. getting good advice or you were not getting a diagnosis from any doctor. What do you think allowed you to have the strength and the faith that you needed to get through this journey to a point where you could get a diagnosis and ultimately get a treatment plan that got you to the 70% point that you're at now? Right. I would start with support from my family. That's what got me through from the beginning up until right now. So the support system for me has been essential. It's so important for me. And just the will, I think, to... I've always been strong. And I think for myself personally, just the will to, to get well, to get better, to not just lay down and say, okay, this is what's happening to me. Just that, that inner strength and that fight that everyone has inside of them. Everybody has this inside of them and everybody can pull that out of them. That really kept me going. And I do have a strong faith. I pray a lot. And my faith has only grown stronger through this journey. And I pray for guidance. And I pray for strength and I pray for answers. And at times I might not get the answers, the exact answers that I'm looking for, but they kind of come up in other ways through the journey. So I think it's so, 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 so important to have support and to have faith and to have that, that fight and that inner fire to just let's do this. Let's go. Let's, let's figure this out. These doctors might not be able to do it, but I'm going to do it. Vanessa, the next area that we'd like to explore with you is how you're different as a consequence of going on this journey. One of the things that is repeatedly surprising me and Matt is that every one of the people that we've interviewed to this point have shared with us yeah. that the journey has had some beauty and has been transformational in a very positive way. Can you share with us how you've been changed positively as a consequence of your Lyme journey? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I had no idea I was this strong, <laughs> to be honest. I just keep surprising myself. And it's almost like with this journey, it's such an up and down kind of journey. It's not like a straight trajectory uphill to healing. It's like healing is very up and down. And every time it would be down, I would get knocked down and I'd come, up, come back stronger and then stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger than the last time. So my strength like, it surprised me, to be honest with you, but it's so beautiful to be able to find that inner strength that I think being sick like this just showed me. I'm also, I feel like I'm awakening to my true authentic self and my innate gifts that I was never aware of before I got sick. I've become connected to a power higher than my own. I have such a strong faith now. I've, I've gone to a place where it was so dark that when I came back, everything was different. I see everything from a new perspective. I'm just so much more empathetic and compassionate because of what I've gone through. I've learned so many, really, I've learned so many beautiful lessons along the way. I think most importantly, I love myself. I finally love myself. And I love myself so fiercely where I didn't before at all. Because I have a newfound appreciation and respect for my body, because it's shown so much resilience and the ability to heal is just incredible, really. And I'm not only healing physically, but I've become aware of how important emotions and trauma and energy is and how important 
it is to address different levels that make up a whole human. And I've learned that I hold the power to heal. And that as I heal myself, I think I'm healing others. I've become so energetically aware and attuned. And I'm learning to kind of hone this. For me personally, getting sick with Lyme disease actually brought me home to myself. I was always living so out of alignment before. It forced me to slow down, to look at myself. and to, Like, I mean, to really look at myself and force me to take care of myself and to put myself first. And it allowed me to uncover my gifts, which is to be a healer. And what better way to be able to heal others and help others really than to go through the experiences and the journey firsthand. So Vanessa, you did indicate to us earlier that you were an empire builder early on in your life, and now you're seeking mm -hmm. to build a different type of empire. So can you now share yes. with the listeners what the future holds for Vanessa and how your professional goals have changed as a consequence of this mm -hmm. journey? Yes. Okay. So my brain through this journey, as Matt, you can attest to, like, if your brain just becomes so stretched, it can't be unstretched. Like, I don't think for myself that I can go back to my old self in the sense that I'm going to take, obviously, my, my, my gifts of being a leader and being a manager and being able to kind of manage things. And essentially, I want to bring that into the world and I want to help people. Like, I'm planning on opening my own therapeutic and supportive therapy spas with all of the supportive techniques that I've used for myself, like our infrared saunas, colonics, so the colonic machines, ionic foot baths, all the supportive therapies that worked for me. I would love to open up spas everywhere, like in Toronto, in Vancouver, maybe in Calgary, offer lymphatic drainage massages. And it doesn't just have to be geared towards Lyme disease. It could be geared towards anybody who, who, want to take a path to health and wellness, it could be people who are recovering from different kinds of diseases, just those therapeutic things that I feel are kind of missing in Canada that I have to kind of travel to the States to get, just so that I could all be here, like a one-stop shop kind of thing. And yeah, like I would be like the clinic director, I would open it up, I would do the hiring, I would do all of that stuff, all the organization, I would order the machines just basically build an empire, but build it that way, in a way that I can help people. Vanessa, we, we can't thank you enough for sharing your story and your vision for the future. Uh, we're looking forward to staying in touch with you so that we can continue to learn from you and grow with you as you begin to develop your healing empire. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. <laughs> thank you so much, Rich, and thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Vanessa Laporte. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Vanessa Laporte, please visit her Instagram page. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your listeners for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. 
Thank you for listening.